Hi, we're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. This is Sports Crunch with Decrom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And this weekend, for the first time since January, we get to see all 32 NFL teams play an actual game as week one of NFL preseason play kicks off. And in that spirit, it's time to get back in the saddle with my right-hand man, Hal Bent, to full press coverage as we are set to cover yet another season of the greatest reality TV show ever conceived. Hal, it is so wonderful to be back together with you for what should be another wild seven months of pro football. How are you, my man? I am doing great, David. Excited for this season. Uh, just like everybody else, just trying to survive the off season and get to the when the games really count. So we're getting close. We're closing in, and I love it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the real games begin exactly four weeks from tonight. But preseason games, while they do not count, they matter for dozens and dozens and dozens upon dozens of players who are vying for active roster spots and practice squad spots throughout the NFL. And just because your team might not keep a certain player doesn't mean another team will not take a chance on that player. So we're in for a wild flurry of moves uh, these next uh four weeks and now let's uh, get started in Kansas City home of the defending Super Bowl champions who more than two weeks after they reported a trading cap are still in the game of chicken with their all pro defensive tackle Chris Jones Chris Jones who is in the final year of his current deal wants his next contract to pay him an average of 30 million dollars per year and thus has yet to report to the team and as I said in the recent show I did with Mark Schofield a few weeks ago, the Chiefs' pass rush after Jones includes either rotational veterans like Charles Amenehue or young players currently developing like George Karlaftis and Felix Anadike Uzama. And last week, the NFL announced that Omenihue will be suspended the first six games of the season for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Does that suspension give Chris Jones additional leverage in contract negotiations? Oh, anything chipping away at that depth is definitely going to give him uh, additional leverage. I mean, he's got tons of leverage as it is because, let's face it, he's the he's the Patrick Mahomes of that defense. The Chiefs aren't winning these Super Bowls on offense alone. That is a heck of a defense that they've put together these past few years, and he is the centerpiece. He is the Aaron Donald of that defense, and I do not blame him in the least for wanting to be compensated he certainly deserves it. Oh, he most certainly does. And you could definitely make the argument that Chris Jones is the MVP of that entire Chiefs team, not named Patrick Mahomes. No offense to Travis Kelsey. Exactly. And, you know, I would have argued that, but looking at what the Chiefs did last year, uh, you know, rebuilding that receiving core, I didn't think they could do it. They did it, but man, again, it was that defense coming up big when they needed to in that Super Bowl. Uh, and Chris Jones, like you said, he is the most important player on that team, not named Patrick Mahomes. Easily the most valuable, that's for Darcher in terms of a positional value. And yesterday, Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach said in an interview with the Kansas City Star that they, quote, have no intentions 
of trading Chris Jones. And for those that don't know, a GM saying that his team doesn't intend to trade a player is completely different <laughs> than a GM saying we're not trading a player. So in other words, Brett Feach didn't rule out the possibility of trading Chris Jones. If things come to that juncture, what kind of package should the Chiefs expect in return? Well, I mean, Jones is still in his prime. And like we said, you know, there's Aaron Donald and there's Jones and, you know, top two at that position and the ability to rush the passer, either move him out to the edge or from the middle uh, makes him so, so valuable to whatever team would get him. I'm thinking if I'm Kansas City, I mean, you've got to at least get two first round picks uh, for Chris Jones. He's still, what, 28 years old. So in his prime, um, two time Super Bowl champion, almost what, 15, 16 sacks last year. Come on, man. I mean, that's two first round picks and then maybe some uh, maybe an active rusted player that you're interested in. Yeah, definitely a larger package uh, than the one they got uh, from the Dolphins for Tyree Kill. Absolutely. Chris Jones, as valuable as Tyree Kill is, Chris Jones is an even more valuable player because, uh, as they say, the two most valuable positions in the NFL are quarterbacks and quarterback disruptors. And Chris Jones is one of the best quarterback disruptors in the entire National Football League. No ifs, ads, or buts about it. And sadly... The most inevitable thing in training camp and football in general is injuries. And we obviously had a big one right as camp began as Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow suffered a calf strain. Although there is no talk about Joe Burrow missing the season opener at this time, calf strains, as I'm sure you know, Hal, are very, very tricky injuries with the potential to linger all season long. Jamar Chase knows this too, and he himself said in a recent interview that the Bengals should be even more cautious with his best friend. And he specifically said, quote, I told him, in all honesty, I don't want him there. You don't want to cause problems later in the season. As long as you're there after week five and on, we're good, brother. So if Joe Burrow is just, say, 80 to 85% on the eve of that season opener against the Browns, should the Bengals rest him for the first game or two, if not longer? Didn't we have this conversation last year, David, when he had his appendix out in training camp? <laughs> no, uh, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> no, uh, you know, Burrow, it's always something, right? He was coming back from the knee. He had the appendix last year, the calf strain this year. Uh, it, he is the franchise there in Cincinnati. They're going to be careful with him in the preseason, but uh, – I wouldn't be the one trying to keep him from running onto the field for opening day because he's going to be ready to go, whether he's 75, 80%, 90%, 100%, whatever. He's going to be out there playing. There's no stopping him. The Bengals can try, but uh, no, Joe is young. He's in his, pro he's, you know, top of his game. He's going to be out there. He's not missing any regular season games. Well, that might be Joe Burrow's mindset, but I want to know your mindset. Oh. Would you try to Ugh. talk Joe Burrow into resting for the first game or two of the season in that situation? I would try, but um, he'd talk me out of it, I'm sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be having a hard time as a head coach uh, not putting him out there under center. I'll tell you that much. Um, really, you know, yeah. I mean, in today's NFL, such a valuable resource at quarterback. And, you know, do you really want to 
who's the backup there? Trevor Simeon, you know, yeah. like, oh, oh my God, don't God. remind me. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah. You know, I, you just can't sell that to your fans, you know, 80% of Joe Burrow versus Trevor Simeon. Uh, no, a, as a head coach, I'd have to put Joe out there. So uh, yeah, I'd let him talk me into it if he's ready to go. Yeah. Plus uh, Trevor Simeon. Uh, I don't think he'd last a full series against that Cleveland Browns defense. Do you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, uh, it, it's another year of Cleveland and everybody wondering, you know, do they live up to their potential this year? But, but that defense is still top notch, still has Miles Garrett there, Zadarius Smith. So yeah, I don't want Trevor Simeon going up against that. No way, no how. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, they got Jim Schwartz now calling the shots on defense. And I think they got a huge upgrade in the coordinatorship uh, going from Joe Woods to Jim Schwartz. And I definitely think that Browns defense should play like a top five unit this year. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to be attacking that quarterback. You know, with Schwartz, he likes to get that pressure. So, yeah, that's going to be uh, fun to see this year uh, what happens in Cleveland. But, yeah, week one Cincinnati. Yeah, they're going to want Joe Burrow back there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we're going to definitely talk more about that game as week one uh, draws near. And uh, earlier this week, renowned football data scientist Aaron Schatz predicted the 49ers and the Bills to be the teams that square off in Super Bowl 58. Keep in mind, at this time last year, Aaron Schatz predicted the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl, but literally nobody else did. And there's obviously a very strong case for the 49ers to be NFC champions this year, but many seem to believe the Bills are a team on the downturn, especially given the current state of their uh, super competitive division. So my question, Hal, is what is the case for the Bills to be the team to dethrone the Chiefs in the AFC as opposed to the Bengals? Well, the the Bills are going to have to replace Tremaine Edmonds in the middle, which they really didn't bring anybody in to do that. And that's a, a huge impact player on their defense that they need to replace. Uh, you've got uh, another year older of Jordan Poyer. So that secondary getting older there. And they still have to find a pass rush one way or another. You know, um, Gregory Rousseau took a small step forward last year. But, you know, you're counting on 34-year-old Von Miller. At, after 17 games to lead the charge in the playoffs, there's a lot on that Bills defense that they're going to have to find a way. They're going to have to have a bunch of guys we haven't heard of uh, step up and veterans stay healthy. And that's all, you know, easy to say in September that, yeah, they're going to look good, but let's talk again in November and December when these guys are are dinged up and, um, you know, teams are attacking that middle of the defense. Yeah, it's, it's a big hole. And like you said, it's not easy in that division as well, because now you've got Aaron Rodgers on a young Jets team. You've got Tua, if he's healthy there in Miami, plus Vic Fangio there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the Patriots who should have been in the playoffs last year before, you know, and all of a sudden they have a real offensive coordinator who knows what they can do, you know? So, so yeah, hyper competitive division right there for Buffalo. Uh, it's tough sledding this year and they really have to deal with, you know, teams that are on the upside in that division and managing those older players and, you know, losing stars and not replacing them on defense there. They got to figure out how to make that work. 
totally. I totally get your skepticism about the Bills, but maybe uh, in a few months we're going to say Aaron Schatz was on to something again. And uh, Aaron Schatz is a guy uh, whose opinions you don't throw in the trash. Immediately, Aaron uh, is one of those guys who absolutely knows his football uh, inside and out. And uh, you mentioned uh, the Bills uh, struggling to get a pass rush outside of Von Miller. And I'm glad you did because uh, Von uh, recently said uh, in an interview that uh, – he, although he hopes to be back week one, it's possible the team could hold him out until around week four, five, or six. Would you uh, hold him out uh, for the first three games? Because keep in mind, Von is not only 34, this is the second torn ACL of his career. Yeah, they really have to manage him. And, you know, it's going to be difficult because he has a lot of pride and he sees himself as a three-down player. And but he's so important to that team. And we, and we saw Buffalo, the impact when they lost him at the end of the season to that knee injury. So yeah, they really have to find a way uh, to get something, you know, I think over conservative for Von Miller, definitely. Um, they're going to have to count. Like I said, they invested the draft pick in Rousseau, Espinessa, Boogie Basham, Leonard Floyd's there now. They've got to figure out a way to get that pressure on the quarterback because, you know, like I said, that secondary's aging out a little bit there. So uh, holes at linebacker that they have to figure out, it's not the perfect situation there anymore. And you can't just count on Ed Oliver coming up the middle as your only pass rush. Oh, you most definitely cannot. And another key factor for the Bills this year, when you look at their offense, they need somebody other than Stephon Diggs to help elevate the passing game. And they have extremely high hopes for 2023 first-round draft pick Dalton Kincaid. And you and I immediately praised that pick when it was made. Like, uh, I initially said, oh, they already have Dawson Knox. But Dalton Kincaid is a far better player that Dalton Knox is, in my humble opinion. And I have a feeling that at some point this season – Dalton Kincaid will be the most dangerous option in that Buffalo pass game outside of Stephon Diggs. What do you think? I think it's definitely a possibility. I mean, we, we like Dawson Knox. He's a good young receiver, but he's not a take-over-the-game kind of guy. He's a third-down-and-five third kind of six-yard reception guy. Uh, everybody had huge hopes for Gabriel Davis after the playoffs he had in 2021 and he really took a big step back last year in that featured role um you know was not a dependable receiver for them and you know big question marks behind there as well like you're looking at the wide receiver position they need that tight end position to be able to step up um you know brought in Trent Sherfield Khalil Shakir was a late round pick last year didn't really work out uh, much in the slot was hot and cold. So, so yeah, I mean, the two tight end, the Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox, they're going to have to get those two tight ends on the field. And they're going to have to find a way to run the ball because two tight end offense is great, but without the threat of the run, uh, they're just going to treat them like wide receivers and play dime against them. And it, it's not going to make much of a big difference. Oh, definitely. And speaking of that, Bill's running game. Uh, as I said uh, on our AFC draft recap show with Mark Schofield uh, a couple of months ago, uh, I was also a huge fan of their second round pick, Osiris Torrance, that uh, 
that tank of a guard out of Florida. He is an absolute road grader. And uh, then bringing in David Harris on a one-year deal gives them a power run game that I don't think they even had last year. So him running behind Osiris towards said the middle of that line and uh, also uh, James Cook being the third down back. I think the Bills running game has a lot of serious potential this year to be the best one they've had since, dare I say, 2019. Yeah, it, it really does. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, we were both surprised. We assumed Torrance was a first round pick, you know, yeah. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wait a minute, what's he doing in the second round? So, uh, yeah, great pickup there. Road grader, like we said, uh, should get in with Mitch Morse, uh, be very comfortable there. They're fine on the other guard side with McGovern. So, yeah, they got some big bodies in the middle that can move the pile here. Uh, very excited to see that. You still have James Cook as, you know, that receiving type back, that home run hitter coming out of the backfield. But, yeah, we've seen Damian Harris in New England for the last couple of years. If he can stay healthy, he can add that element that Buffalo just simply has not had these last two, three years. And that's really held that offense back. Um, you know, like we said, not being able to convert those first downs and run out the clock against Kansas city in the playoffs a couple years ago. Oh, you said it, Hal. And uh, while many, if not most, anticipate the AFC East to be the NFL's most competitive division this year, I wouldn't sleep on that AFC North either. We were talking about the Browns a couple minutes ago. If last year taught us anything, it should have taught us never, ever, ever, ever bet against a, a team coached by Mike Tomlin. And now look at what the Steelers did uh, in the offseason. They uh, upgraded the offensive line with a Broderick Jones in the draft. They brought in uh, Jones's fellow Georgia Bulldog Darnell Washington to form uh, yeah. a two tight end offense with a Pat Fryerbooth that could absolutely open up car size lanes for Najee Harris compared to the ones that he's he's been seeing the past uh, couple years. Uh, you got uh, George Pickens, uh, Deontay Johnson, and Allen Robinson, three uh, very good wide receivers. And uh, you uh, you still have that defense, and you upgraded that secondary with uh, Joey Porter Jr. And uh, you got a promising young uh, defensive tackle in Keanu Benton, uh, a great draft class and all. So the Steelers, we could be talking about all four teams in the AFC North as legitimate division contenders as well. So do you think the, would you be surprised if the AFC North turned out to be an even more competitive division this year than the AFC East did? I would not be at all. I do not. Like you said, you know, Mike Tomlin, um, (laughs) you know, can't pick against him. We know Cincinnati's loaded with talent, Cleveland, if they can put it together, loaded with talent and, Hey, you're going to pick against Baltimore, you know, no way. Uh, uh-uh. I don't pick against Harbaugh's if I can help it here. So, uh, uh-uh. not picking against Baltimore again, very, very deep there as well. A um, lot of talented teams there in the North Pittsburgh. Like you said, you've outlined how they're on the upswing. Cleveland has tons of talent on both sides of the football. They just have to get that coaching staff to put that together. Cincinnati is a Super Bowl favorite these last three years. And yeah, and like we said, and and don't sleep on the Ravens either. So uh, OBJ, Zay Flowers, you got Todd Munkin running that offense for Lamar now. So that's going to be a real interesting team to see uh, if they start opening up that offense with the passing game to go along with that you know, how Baltimore has always operated with those tight ends and uh, running games. So they could be very exciting this year. Oh, absolutely. And 
whether Todd Mockin was uh, calling the plays for the Bucks a couple years ago or calling the plays at Georgia recently. Uh, his reputation in both college and pro football is as a play caller who literally attacks every single blade of grass in the passing game. And this season is going to be the season once and for all where the casual football fans are going to realize just how special Lamar Jackson is as a pocket passer. Yeah. He's always yeah. been a special pocket passer, even dating back to his time at Louisville. But uh, that's kind of been obscured due to his uh, running talents. But this year, I think people are going to see the Lamar Jackson that all of us who know football uh, see as an elite pocket passer. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it in, you know, fits and spurts, and, and a lot of that has to do to, you know, the talent that was around him. But uh, OBJ, you know, you still got Bateman. You've got Zay Flowers in as well. Great slot receiver should make a, a, make for a lot of easy completions for him and yards after the catch. So, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, and he's still got Mark Andrews there. So, yeah, that's not, a, <laughs> that's not a bad looking offense right there. And, you know, the offensive line is going to be strong at the end of the day, no matter what in Baltimore. So, yeah, th that offense looks like that could be a lot of fun. And we could be talking about MVP Lamar Jackson again. Oh, that definitely wouldn't be surprised, Sal. And now let's head to Indianapolis, where despite the presence of a promising young head coach and a very promising young quarterback, the clown show at the top still goes on. As training camp began, Colts owner Jim Ursay set to tweet accusing agents of NFL running backs of, quote, bad faith, unquote. And that tweet deeply offended Colts star running back Jonathan Taylor in his camp so much that Taylor's agent tweeted that the relationship between uh, Ursay and his client was essentially over. And the next day, Jonathan Taylor met with Ursay on Ursay's bus and requested a trade. And Ursay subsequently shot back via the media with an emphatic oh. no. But it didn't end there. As a day or so later, a report surfaced that the Colts were considering putting Jonathan Taylor on the NFI list, which would mean oh. he would miss the entire 2023 season without pay. And Taylor himself immediately refuted the report. Thus, the stalemate between the Colts and Jonathan Taylor continues with absolutely no end in sight. So my question is here, Hale, do I get a big simpatico alert here that given the fact that Dan Snyder is now thankfully and finally out of the picture, does this whole ridiculous episode prove that Jim Ursay is now the worst owner in the NFL? Beep, 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 beep. You're getting it, David. You're getting it. Oh, I mean, you know, thanks, Dad Ursay has been an embarrassment to the league for years. And yeah, with Dan Snyder out of the way, he is sliding into that top spot. I mean, this handling of Jonathan Taylor, I mean, I, I'm still amazed they've got Sean Steichen there as head coach that he took the job, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so, oh, ugly, ugly mess there. So, yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing fighting with their star running back in the press. It just is a bad, bad look. And it's just going to poison the rest of that team. So, I mean, if you can't come to terms with Taylor and you have to trade him away, well, what's Michael Pittman going to think? Am I going to try to, uh, do I want to sign a contract with this team? No, trade me the heck out of here as well. You know, what are the, some of those veterans on defense? Do DeForest Buckner want to go another year with this group? Kenny Moore? They're going to be looking for the exit there. So, yeah, I mean, you just, 
oh, you just start breaking down these relationships and you start breaking down the framework of that team. And, and that's when things just start falling apart all over the place. So yes, terrible, terrible ownership getting involved like this uh, should not be playing out in the press. And I will definitely agree. Ursay, the worst day. Well, that's a good way to put it. And if Jonathan Taylor is either traded or doesn't play the season, do you fear his absence will absolutely stunt the growth of Anthony Richardson? It does not help Anthony Richardson at all to have your best offensive player not playing. Uh, you know, it's a big drop off between Jonathan Taylor and who else they got Kenyon Drake, Zach Moss, you know, like uh, Zach Moss said, I'm a big fan of uh, their six round pick Evan Hole. He's a very good change of pace back on Northwestern. Yeah. So, but again, you know, yeah. Can't You're asking Jonathan him Taylor. a lot <laughs> to just step in for Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, you know, obviously one of the most productive running backs, you know, obviously the number one, offensive talent on that team and without him around that's oh it's not it does not help anthony richardson grow as an nfl quarterback at all yeah like the main thing i was looking forward to see with anthony richardson this season was the uh zone read threat with him and jonathan taylor like the danger of anthony oh, yeah. richardson's likes of the danger of jonathan taylor jim ursay just might have Oh. completely canceled the possibility of that project. And he has absolutely made not just Colts fans, but a lot of NFL fans, very, very bad. So Jim Bursay, you are now officially the worst owner in the national football league until proven. Otherwise we are definitely simpatico there. Hell. And yesterday, Commander head coach Ron Rivera committed oh. a similarly grave offense by airing dirty laundry in public. He essentially admitted to the media that some players complained to him about offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy's coaching style. Moreover, Rivera didn't give Bieniemy, who is his hand-picked offensive coordinator, a full-throated <laughs> defense at any point in his response. And as our friend Benjamin Albright at KOA Radio in Denver has been reporting for years, one reason why Eric Bieniemy hasn't gained as much traction as a head coach candidate is that many around the league don't find his personality endearing, and apparently several Commanders players agree. This morning, Rivera apologized, and rightfully so. But still, those comments he made yesterday, for better or for worse, are going to put a spotlight on this team, especially the offense. If Washington's offense doesn't gel quickly, do you see this as a situation where the wheels fall off fast? Oh, definitely, without a doubt. I mean, this is a offense that is a bottom third offense in the NFL. Why they were bringing in the enemy to begin with um, you know, not exactly overflowing with scoring points here these last couple of years. So, yeah, they definitely come across looking like, uh, you know, a soft offense complaining, a team that hasn't done anything. And, oh, this guy's just won two Super Bowls with, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes. But, no, he's you guys are too good for him. I mean, that's just going to drag a team right down to the bottom there. No doubt about it. Many times two things could be true here. Yes, Eric Bieniemy might have a, a coaching style and personality that rubs certain players the wrong way. But at the same time, the fact that players are arrogantly complaining about a coach uh, just doesn't reflect well at all. And it does create uh, an impression that you're soft and you can't take criticism. And uh, 
Yeah, look at the talent on this Washington offense. Scary Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, uh, Logan Thomas, underrated tight end. One-two punch in the backfield. Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson. Uh, an offensive line that is young but improving. You got the pieces to support either Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett. And look at what Jacoby Brissett did last year in Deshaun Watson. Said he had a very good season. I think Jacoby Brissett is more than capable of replicating his success that he had with Cleveland last year in Washington this year with that supporting cast. But to have this rift be exposed to the media already is absolutely not a good sign for this team this season. Agree 100%, David. You know, perception, reality, at the end of the day, you know, you've got a new coach, you've got to work with him. And yeah, a lot of people don't like, uh, you know, a coach who might rub you the wrong way, like you said, but this offense needs a kick in the rear end. And I think that's why they brought the enemy in. And for Rivera not to immediately 100% take his back and air this dirty laundry is not a good look for Ron Rivera, the head coach. Yeah, and especially with Josh Harris and that new ownership group down in, Ron Rivera mm. probably uh, increased the odds that he's going to be looking for another job after this season. Exactly. You know, you'd never like it when there's a new ownership group in and you're not, you, you know, he's not their guy. And I don't see any uh, Super Bowl trophies recently in Washington. So the heat is on Ron. Oh, it most certainly is. And now let's talk about coaches in a good way. The Tennessee Titans are doing something very interesting for their preseason opener this weekend against the Bears. On Friday and Saturday, which is the day of the game, head coach Mike Grable will transfer head coaching duties to assistant head coach, defensive line coach Terrell Williams, who's regarded as a promising potential head coach in league circles. I am personally a huge fan of what Grable is doing here. So my question here is, Hal, should the NFL require every team to give one of their assistant coaches, especially a minority, a chance to build the resume by letting him be the acting head coach in a preseason game. The NFL shouldn't require it because every other team should see this example and follow it without a second thought. It's genius. It's why Mike Vrabel is Mike Vrabel. You know, thinking outside the box, everybody talks about how they care about their uh, assistant coaches and everybody else, but to step up and to give them that opportunity. It's the freaking preseason. Why aren't you doing that? Every coach should be doing that. It's ridiculous that it took this long before someone did it. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, Frank Reich should be doing the same thing with the Giro Vero in Carolina. Giro Vero, oh. who I fully expect to get more head coaching interviews uh, after this uh, season. Uh, that's uh, one example. The Broncos, they got a, a fantastic young defensive bass coach and Christian Parker. Give him a shot, Sean Payton. Uh, uh, Matt Eberflus, uh, you could give like uh, your defensive coordinator, Alan Williams, a chance potentially. Yeah. Uh this has to be a model going forward without a second thought. I completely, completely, completely agree. If the NFL, if the coaches themselves truly care about their minority assistants in particular, uh, getting better jobs down the road, give them a chance to build their resume in the preseason. No ifs, ands, or buts about it there. And tonight, the first full week of 2023 NFL preseason play kicks off in your backyard in Foxborough, Massachusetts, as the New England Patriots host the Houston Texans. What are you watching for in that game tonight? 
My number one prayer for any preseason game is, oh, my God, no injuries, please. Uh, <laughs> I don't care if you're the 90th guy on the team or you're a starter that they're inexplicably throwing out there on the first game of the preseason. Uh, no injuries, please. That's first and foremost. There's nothing I hate more than that. Uh, seeing these guys um, with a chance to make an impact, uh, having the injuries. Beyond that, um, Houston, you know, that's a rebuilding team. So there's going to be a lot of young players out there on the field um, that are going to be fighting for jobs with a great opportunity for the job. But especially, I would love to see, I don't know if they're going to play them because it is the first preseason game, but uh, 2022 second round pick John Mechie. Uh, missed all of last year due to the cancer diagnosis. He's back. Uh, what a great story. He was a great talent coming, coming out of college as well. So he's somebody, uh, everybody saw what he did at Alabama, uh, the game that he has. He's right up there as far as I was concerned, coming out of college with some of those other Alabama receivers. So yeah, he should be, um, i I'm rooting for him. I want to see, you know, eight catches and 200 yards and five touchdowns out of the guy. So that's my <laughs> number one. That's my number one. I'm rooting for John Mechie like no one else here. So, yeah, John Mechie is a very, very easy guy uh, to root for this season and beyond. But what I'm watching in terms of the Texas right now is uh, CJ Stroud and their offensive line that is currently in flux due to injury. I believe they lost their starting center, uh, Scott Questenberry, for the season due to a knee injury. Yeah. And they might have to start rookie Juice Scruggs at center the entire season. And not only that, right tackle Titus Howard uh, suffered a broken hand. And he is going to be sidelined for four to six weeks, according to head coach D'Amico Ryans. And that means... Uh, Titus Howard could very easily not be available for the first uh, two or three games uh, of the season. And I want to see how the Texans plan to help CJ Stroud with those injuries on the offensive line, because that center is a very, very underrated and important position, especially in uh, Bobby Slowick's uh, scheme. And uh, without Titus Howard uh, having uh, the right side taken care of uh, uh, CJ Stroud uh, is going to be under duress a lot for the first couple games of the season. So uh, they're going to have to really, really, really uh, start um, finding out ways to better protect CJ Stroud up front. So that's the main thing I'm looking for tonight, because uh, if CJ Stroud doesn't have that protection up front, the first couple games of the season, uh, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you can look at the jets and say their tackle situation is all in flux and, you know, Houston's got their, uh, um, cast off George Fantas, you know, next up there at tackle. So, uh, and they're probably not going to risk him in the first preseason game. So some of these younger players, undrafted free agents that they have at tackle, uh, late round picks from previous drafts. These guys are going to have a chance to shine and they're going to need to show that, um, because, yeah, you got to protect that investment. And C.J. Stroud uh, looks like he could be something special there at quarterback. They got to keep him upright. Yeah, and as far as the Patriots are concerned tonight, I want to see the depth on this defense because uh, Mark Schofield uh, said that he is absolutely bullish on this Patriots defense this year, and they could easily be a top five unit this year. Uh, look at what you got. You got a promising rookie corner, Christian Gonzalez, who could uh, line up man to man against uh, any receiver. Uh, you have a pass rushing package with uh, Matt Judon, uh, Josh Uche, 
Christian Barmore, if he stays yeah. healthy, and the rookie Keon White. I want to see how Keon White and the second streakers and down the depth chart look tonight because if any of those guys flash, uh, that will only increase my optimism for this defense. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the Patriots have invested in that position as well. We've, we just haven't seen them healthy and on the field. They spent third round picks in 2020 and 2021 on Anthony Jennings and uh, Ronnie Perkins out of Alabama and Oklahoma. So those guys definitely talented, um, just haven't been able to stay healthy. So those two start flashing the pass rush like Josh Uche did in the preseason last year. And, oh, my God, they could really be coming after the quarterbacks this year. Uh, another name, he hasn't been playing. Um, he's still in the non-contact jersey, but plays linebacker, safety, hybrid, third-round pick, Marte Mapu. Everybody oh, yeah. was shocked. The Patriots drafted him in the third round out of Sacramento State. He has been flying around practices um, in the backfield, against in the running game, in the passing game. Um, you know, he looks like another Kyle Duggar out there. That's scary of the Patriots. You got two of those guys out there. So I'm really excited to see if Mapu takes what he's been doing on the practice field and puts that out in a game situation. He is Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. Follow him on Twitter at HalBet01. Hal, thank you so much once again for joining us to kick off yet another exciting NFL season. But before we let you go, we got one more question. What are the main things you'll be paying attention to in the rest of this week's uh, preseason slate? We love looking at those rookie quarterbacks. You know that. I know that. They're going to get some playing time. So, yeah, really want to see that. Um, the quarterbacks in San Francisco, you know, I want to see Trey Lance. I want to see Sam Darnold, see how they run that offense as well. Um, because, yeah, it should be the the Brock Purdy show, but not really sure about that. And Hey, hard knocks in the Jets, man. Come on. You know, how long is that honeymoon going to last for Aaron Rodgers? That could go at any time. So, um, yeah, Sean Payton on the sidelines again. That's a huge storyline that I'm looking at as well. You know, Cincinnati, that offensive line, is that going to hold up again this year? It seems like it's an annual question there in Cincinnati. And the Detroit Lions, the star of last year's hard knocks, um, they're not the underdogs anymore. <laughs> they got a target on them. Yeah. I want to see how Detroit, uh, you know, looks when everybody's gunning for them instead of them at the bottom looking up at everybody else. So that's a huge storyline I want to see as well uh, in the games and see how that all starts coming together uh, yeah. this weekend. I'm glad you mentioned uh, two things, Sal, and I want to talk more about them with you. Uh, number one, that... Uh, backup quarterback battle in San Francisco between Trey Lance and Sam Donald. There's been buzz coming out of Niners camp that Trey Lance has made quantum leaps in his development. If he shows evidence of those quantum leaps throughout the entire preseason, do you think a quarterback media team should immediately be on the phone with the 49ers inquiring about a potential trade for Trey Lance? Yes, definitely. Uh, the 49ers have made it clear Trey Lance is not the future in San Francisco, despite that giant package they gave up to go get him. So, yes, start 
getting some draft picks back for him, recoup that in investment. Uh, this team is Brock Purdy's team. We saw that last season. It's going to be his team this year. Uh, I think Sam Darnold can handle the backup position with all that talent around him. It might be a perfect situation for him to restart his career as well. So, yes, find a sucker. I mean, a team that needs a quarterback and uh, get some picks back for Trey Lance, please. Yeah, because Trey Lance, uh, say what you will about it, but this guy still has enormous untapped potential and uh and in the right scheme even outside of Kyle Shannon San Francisco I think he could still achieve it yeah and and maybe you know um it's one of those situations where it's just that you know some guys just need a change of scenery maybe the the coaching situation doesn't work maybe he needs to go on a team with less pressure and he can go out and learn on the job I mean the guy's barely played quarterback for like three four years now so I mean he needs to get on the field and play and that's the only way he's going to improve and he might need to go on a team that's locked in for three or four wins not looking not having that pressure and that's going to level him up and give him that experience in the NFL that he needs to eventually uh, un unlock that potential down the road. And I'm also glad you mentioned uh, Sean Payton returning to the sidelines because uh, Sean Payton uh, said a couple days ago that he plans to play the most of the Broncos starters 15 to 18 snaps this Friday night against the Cardinals. But just look at the condition of that State Farm Stadium field right now. If you thought that field was in bad shape for the Super Bowl last season, it's in even worse shape now. As a matter of fact, it's so bad right now that Cardinals running back Marlon Mack just a couple days after signing with them tripped and fell and tore his Achilles. That's how bad that field is right now. And uh, Sean Payton, if players arrive at that stadium and test their uh, feet on that field and say, this doesn't feel good. Should Sean Payton immediately say, Oh, I'm sorry. We're not going to play our starters at all tonight. Yes, definitely. My God, Sean Payton, it's the preseason. The guys need 15 snaps total. Uh, that's why you have joint practices and you can control, uh, prevent injuries. These guys don't need to play all these preseason snaps. So, yes, look at the field. If there's the slightest chance of it not being in tip-top shape, pull your starters, protect them. Uh, doesn't do you any good if these guys are missing the entire season, blowing out a knee or an Achilles or something. Oh, absolutely. And Sean Payton may be stubborn in a lot of like his beliefs in how to uh, run a team and get him ready for the season. But Broncos owner Greg Penner, I think, has to be paying extra close attention right now. Because if that field is bad and Sean Payton is still lead towards playing the starters on Friday night, if you're down there at Arizona, as I assume you will be, Greg Penner, I think you have to veto him. Oh, I mean, without a doubt. Like, you, you lose your quarterback, Russell Wilson, uh, season's over. Javante Williams, another injury, season's over. You know, Jerry Judy, I mean, come on, you can't, ugh. It's preseason, you know, you got to protect these guys. They need 15, 20 snaps total. Um, it's a long season. We're 17 games, not 16 anymore. So, yeah, you, you can't burn these guys out and risk the injuries for no reason at all here in August. 
My right-hand man, Hal Bet, ladies and gentlemen, catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com and follow him on Twitter at HalBet01. Thank you once again, Hal, and that's it for today here on Sports Crutch. But we'll be back again next week to recap week one of preseason action and discuss other news and notes from around the National Football League, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram, TikTok, and now threads at Sports Crutch with dcrom. And remember, that's Crutch with a K. In addition... Please click the link in my Instagram bio to vote for friend of the pod, Berkeley, in the 2023 Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Model Search Competition. You can vote every day from now through September the 1st. For Hal Bet, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and whatever you do, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose selflessness, and please choose empathy, which are the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams in any sport. Until next time, cats, kittens, stay cool. (laughs) 